Hello and welcome to Working Historians, a podcast series about what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, Associate Dean of Liberal Arts at Southern New Hampshire University's Global Campus. Today I'm talking to Chris Savio, a history, criminal justice, and special education teacher who works with students at the high school and college levels. Today we're going to talk about his background, his teaching interests, and his multifaceted teaching career. What is your name and what do you do? Hey, my name is Chris Savio, and I am a professor of history at Southern New Hampshire University. I also teach special, special education at Glenridge High School in the state of New Jersey. I've been a special education teacher for 25 years, and amongst that, I'm also a certified history teacher. So I've been teaching history classes as well. I've taught Native American history face-to-face, which is a class that I, have, I wrote myself. I did the curriculum, wrote the textbook for I've taught it at the University of California, San Diego, on your online program. And I also teach online history courses through a, a place called Virtual High School. I teach history to people literally all over the world. And I currently have a, a course of 14 kids who I'm teaching history to in Nanjing. And before we get into your, kind of your day-to-day work, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your academic and professional background? Yes, I started at University of California, San Diego back in 86. And because my parents bought a diner in New Jersey, which New Jersey is like this big mecca for diners, <laughs> I transferred to the East Coast. And I was looking up before I transferred, like, what were the better history departments I could probably transfer into. And I ended up at State University of New York at Stony Brook, where I graduated with an honors degree. Mm-hmm. And also earned uh, Phi Beta Kappa honors. And from there, I took a little bit of time off. I went and academically, I was working, of course, as a teacher. But when I went back to teaching, I went to Montclair State University here in New Jersey and earned my master's degree in history through them. 2007 was my graduation of that. And what were your uh, research projects during those, uh, those two degrees? With my two degrees, I wrote a thesis with um, my BA at the University of New York at Stony Brook, I wrote it on slave plantations. I was always enthralled by watching a movie about it or reading books about it. And I always came across like the term, you know, like the threat from the slave owners, a sell you down river. And I was always wondering, is that a threat or is it something real? Is there something behind that? Mm-hmm. So my thesis was I picked four different slave plantations located in different regions of the South. And I got as much primary source documentation on each one of them. Like there's like a lot of primary source documents on their, uh, the business journals their diaries, the rules of the plantation. I went and got newspapers from the time and I just compared the life of a slave on each one of the plantations throughout the different regions of the South to see if there was anything behind the threat of a Celadon river. You know, because I was thinking they wouldn't be saying unless there's something true, like the slaves in Mississippi had it infinitely worse than like a slave in Virginia. Not to say that, you know, any place being a slave was good, but they're, when the slave owners are giving threats like that, I think myself, there has to be something behind it. So that was my my uh, research for my honors degree at uh, Stony Brook. Yeah. And then when I did my thesis at Montclair State, I was still very much interested in that. So... I guess you could say I redid it. I went back and I looked at it, you know, with a eye of someone who was a little bit more educated at the time. I was almost got my master's degree. 
And I did the research all over again and I rewrote it and expanded upon some places that I thought should be expanded upon. So I've written on slavery in depth, you know, twice. So after doing it in depth the second time around, did you have any conclusions about was slavery worse in some regions than in others after after all that research? I did. And the because of the weather, when you go down in the south, you know, the growing seasons are longer. So therefore, mm-hmm. the slaves are working longer as opposed to being in like northern Virginia where it gets colder. So you not, might not be working in like February as, as hard as you would be in like July and Mississippi in Louisiana, they are working very hard all year long. And also just their general conditions and the treatments got worse the farther away from the north the the, uh, slaves were located. When you look at the runaway slave ads from cities like Richmond, Virginia, as opposed to newspapers that I pulled out of Mississippi, when you look at the descriptions of the slaves, there is far more incidences of slaves having the, the scars that, the, you know, the famous pictures we see of the slaves with the scars or, mm-hmm. you know, you can tell they've been beaten. You know, if, if it wasn't a picture, there was like descriptions of things going on and the, the likelihood of them being abused was far higher the farther south he went than as, you know, in Virginia. And I was thinking when I was doing my research, you know, the proximity to the north and with all the abolitionists trying to uh, get rid of slavery and, you know, <laughs> the abolitionists in the North, maybe very close to the South, I would think that has some kind of influence on it. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the environmental factors, that's, that seems right. And, you know, on the, on the one hand, it always feels a little bit icky to say that, you know, these slaves had it worse than those other slaves because they're all enslaved. And so there's, I mean, we can, we can kind of put that as a given, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, the environmental factors are certainly a case. It does feel like there's also kind of, whether it was a cliche or not, I mean, you th- what I, I mean I'm thinking about like Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. And in, in that book, that certainly was kind of a large component to the book was that there was a, um, the main characters at the beginning were on one plantation and they were treated, you know, not great, but okay in a way. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually got sold farther south and everything went to hell for them and things got even worse and all that led a bunch of them to try to escape and all of that. So it, it feels like that if, it, even if it, I mean, whether it was true or not, it was certainly a known phenomenon uh, in the 1850s, which became felt in popular culture. Yeah. You can also see that when you read Frederick Douglass yeah. in his autobiography, you know, he's talking about was like Virginia, Maryland. Mm-hmm. He goes into great detail about times when he was, you know, like beaten in, you know, the, the, what he went through. So it happened everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you were saying, it's like just being a slave in itself was horrible. No matter where you are, it's a horrible existence. And, you know, one of the, the bad parts of our history. Right, right. Maybe, maybe the frequency of <laughs> getting beat when, when, the, when the plantation owners aren't under the, the view of the North, I guess. Right.
you had mentioned at one point that you also teach criminal justice classes, right? Yes, I do. I teach online and I have also taught criminology face-to-face at the high school that I'm currently employed at. Chris, now that you've wrapped up your grad school and all that research, how did you go about entering the job market once you're graduating? Luckily enough, I was already placed in a job when I, I got my master's degree while I was still teaching at, well, I'm still am teaching at Glenridge High School. But what it did, it it opened up doors for me that I wouldn't have had without the master's degree. Like, I w- if I didn't have the master's degree, I wouldn't be able to be a professor at SNHU. <laughs> I was also able to teach at University of California, San Diego, like I said, online. So that opened the doors for me. And I also believe that it opened the doors for me when I, when I was teaching Native American history. Like I said, I wrote the textbook for Native American history that I used in my high school courses because, lo and behold, there were no Native American history textbooks to be used. <laughs> so I was like, where can you get it from? So I had to write my own. And it opened the door for that. Also, I um, was able to get some National Endowment of the Humanities awards or scholarships, I guess you would say, to study Native American history. Like out in Nebraska, I got to go to Fort Robinson. I've been up to Fort Niagara in the past. I was accepted to do some research at uh, uh, Mason Verde in uh, Colorado. So uh, definitely opened the doors for those. And now that I like to write as a hobby, it does help to put in the back of your book that you have a master's in history or yep. you're a professor of history someplace. <laughs> that right. might have put there. Uh, and so tell us about some of your book projects. What have you been writing on? I Well, the, of course, the Native American history book is one that that's the first one I ever did. And from there, I wrote a book on Abraham Lincoln. It's uh, about 100 pages or so. And I wrote just examining not like the Civil War, that's what he's famous for, like keeping the Union together. And obviously he did an amazing job doing that. But I was wondering, what was his like policy of Native Americans? What was he looking for out West? And I just did an analysis of what happened under his four years in office. And when you see like the Long Walk of the Navajo happened under him, the Sand Creek Massacre that happened while he was president. And then, of course, you had what happened in Minnesota with the, um, the uprising in Minnesota in, in the 1860s. You know, it was just, a, it was analysis of, did he want it to happen? He did not want it to happen. Was he just neglecting things and allowing things to happen out there? Or did he like have a purpose for having all those things happen? Like, we know that he wanted to open up the West as much as he could. So were the things that happened like a derivative of like his actions? You know, did that. I um, wrote a book on, um, FDR, just about Pearl Harbor. And I was really trying to stay away from doing any conspiracy theories of he knew about Pearl Harbor beforehand. But there are a lot of books out there that were saying that he did. There's some evidence out there that say he may have, he might might not have. So I just analyzed the information that was that's, you know, out there, like mostly, I think, due to the Freedom Information Act now of did he have any chance of knowing it was happening? And if he did know it was happening, why would he want it to happen? You know, so it's just an analysis on that. It's not anything, it's not like a conspiracy theory saying, yes, he definitely did this, but I was just trying to analyze, mm-hmm. you know, what are the facts that are out there? Also done some stuff on study skills. I teach study skills for the last 16 years, teaching people how to get better grades. So I figured I'd write a couple of books on that for middle school kids. I've written a book on serial killers because oh. of the criminology. 
because I, I, when I teach